0: We're going to pick up at verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. And the scripture reads, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. They were both well advanced in years and so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division according to the custom of the priesthood his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense and then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense and when Zacharias saw him he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And was sent to speak to you, to bring to you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute, not able to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned them, and he beckoned to them, and remained speechless. And so it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. And now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary and having come in, Said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. God, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. And God, please, I pray that you'd bring hope to all who are present. I pray that the barrenness of this season would be one that would be fulfilled with joy. And hope, in this season as we've gone through a desert, we ask that you would speak once again to your people and refresh your people, that you would call the children back to their parents and parents back to the children. We ask, Lord, that you would bring revival. Lord, please, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Speak to us now through your living word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. Sorry you had to stand so long. Not really. The word barren in the dictionary is uh, not reproducing, incapable of producing offspring. It also producing little or no vegetation, producing inferior crops, unproductive of results or gain. Devoid, lacking. Lacking. Absent of excitement, lacking interest or charm, a barren routine, lacking inspiration or ideas, a barren mind. I, I kept seeing that word barren and it would just jump out at me. You see, Gabriel, who appears to Zacharias, is found in the scriptures and he's an archangel. This is this is the upper echelon. This is... Uh, in the order of authority, uh, you got Michael and Gabriel. And these guys are to be reckoned with. They're profound and powerful. Gabriel is found not only in communicating to Zacharias, but he's also communicating to Mary. And we also find him communicating with Daniel. Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 9. In both passages, Daniel refers to this angel Gabriel. And and he is it just like Zacharias fear comes over him. It's this reverential fear. It's a paralyzing fear. Uh, this 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 heavenly creature has entered into his presence, and, and he's, he, he's he's just undone. His his heart's just stopped. He he just can't even speak or breathe. It's it's that amazing to witness the the scriptures describe these angels uh, with with three sets of wings six total wings two that cover the feet two that cover the eyes and then they fly with the other middle wings sing, saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty as they circle the lord and bring glory to his name these are creatures that are uh, recognizable in their heavenly appearance and they're stunning and and they're they're holy and and without sin and and radiant and and just the picture of them, if, they, if you were to witness one, you'd be stunned. But what's interesting is, is there's, there's Gabriel speaking, but he, he spoke hundreds of years earlier and then was silent until we come to Luke chapter 1. And hundreds of years earlier, he had spoken to Daniel. And he had given him this idea of the 70 weeks, and he laid out the course, and he, and he, he would outline this to Daniel in chapter 8 and chapter 9. And, and I've already gone through the, the, the course of this that he laid out when Jesus would enter into Jerusalem and offer himself as a sacrifice for the sin of the people. And to the day, counting uh, all of, of the 172,880 days from the time of the decree that would go forth with Artaxerxes to rebuild the wall. And you start the countdown from exactly what Gabriel said to Daniel to the point where Jesus has his triumphal entry. To the day, he's there. It's been calculated, you look at it, it's stunning. And, and Gabriel is, a, is, a, is an angel that gives a timeline. And when he gives a timeline, it is strict and to the point. And you can witness that in Daniel 8 and Daniel 9. And you follow in Ezra with Artaxerxes and the decree going forth and then the clock ticking. And then as it clicks down, it comes to this point in, in the scriptures, in the gospel, where Jesus has a triumphal entry into the day Jesus arrives. And he says to Israel, had you not known that this, your day... And it was declared by, by, by Gabriel, I'm here. He gave you the time frame, it's laid out, and you can go back and do your homework, and it's fascinating. It, it'll, it'll blow your mind if you haven't done your homework. And when Gabriel gives a timeline, it is set. And then it comes into the last book of the scriptures in the Old Testament. The famous Italian prophet, um, Malachi. Malachi and in Malachi this this is the last that God would speak to his people and he would go silent for 400 years there would be a barrenness of the voice of God speaking to his people. And he says to Malachi, and Malachi pens these words, he says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He's speaking of Elijah. And if you have any doubt, the very last chapter and the last two verses of the last book of the Old Testament before God goes silent and the barrenness of his voice exists for 400 years is Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. He arrives and he says to Malachi very clearly, I am going to send Elijah. Now, Elijah's already come. They followed this. What is he speaking of? John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah to make straight the way of the Lord. And as the scriptures declare, and as God would declare, and as you read in, in Luke chapter 1, the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. It's called reconciliation, revival a restoration of relationship. That's really all that Christianity is. It's men and women who have gone astray from their creator, and God gives us a way back through his son. It's this cross, this bridge between a sinful man and a holy God, reconciled by the blood of his son shed on the cross for the remission of the world's sins, a baby that came to die that we might live. To reconcile our hearts to our heavenly father and our father's heart to us. He's always had a heart for us, but he speaks in earthly terms that no matter how bad it is, God is here to reconcile every human relationship if we but yield to him first. Countless stories that I've heard in the course of ministry in all these years of folks that were raised in a home that was awful, and some of you are represented here, your parents were terrible, and some of the stories just rip your heart out. And yet to be reconciled at a deathbed with a parent. Only God. Now you can look at someone who's been responsible for the greatest hurt in your life and the words would leave your mouth to say, I forgive you. Only God. Only if you've been reconciled can you reconcile. And that's what God is saying to Malachi. Malachi that there will be one who will make straight the way of the Lord and with the coming of this messiah this savior the hearts of the children will be reconciled to the parents and the parents to the children and after those those two verses are uttered god goes silent and a barrenness falls on the land for 400 years 20,000 priests serve in this temple in Jerusalem 20,000 of them, they gather at the moments of the great feast where they come to offer the sacrifice on behalf of all the people. And each of these would, would run in an order. And, and here we see in, in uh, Luke chapter 1, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. Each of these Levites were, were segmented into, into divisions. And, and, and Zacharias' division came under Abijah. And Abijah uh, would have in this division a series of priests, and it would be done by lot, and the lots would fall. And and if you were so blessed, you would have the opportunity that was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies. Three priests would be selected. One would carry the lavern of the coals, the hot coals. The other would carry the incense. And they would walk in with the one priest and the three would come. And as they would approach in the holy place coming into the holy of holies, the two priests would stop on the outside, they would mix it, and then the priest would come in into the holy of holies to go before what was the mercy seat. It was the the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, there were the two seraphim on top of the mercy seat, the lid of this, this ark. And their wings were forward. And between where the two wings almost touched. Is where the presence of God would reside. It was a, it was a, it was a pillar of fire by night. And a cloud by day. And, and you would approach the presence of the living God. And, and it was fascinating how they did this. They would, they would make the priest wear a robe. That had bells on the base of the robe. Shaped like pomegranates. And they found them now in archaeological diggings. And, the, and these bells would make noise as they'd walk. And they wanted to be able to hear them, and not just be able to hear them, but the priest, when he would enter into the Holy of Holies, they would put a rope, a cord on his foot. And the purpose was, if this priest wasn't right, and approached the presence of God, and, and he'd had an argument with his wife the night before, and, and, and didn't admit wrong, men, He would fall dead in the presence of God. And then they, the bell stopped ringing and they heard a thud. They would wait to see if maybe he had just seen an angel and fainted. Or, and they would give it time. And as a day would go into two days, they didn't want to wait a year to go in and find the carcass. And they would just pull the rope and bring the body out. And so this is an intense moment. And of the 20,000 priests, one would get that opportunity every year. And here we find a man by the name of Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. They were, they, they were royalty in the Levitical world, and they were both righteous before God, which is fascinating. Righteous meaning that they weren't sinless. They just walked in the commandments of God and the ordinances of the Lord, and they were blameless. They kept a short account with God, and they, they meant what they said, and they said what they meant, and their life was such that you could take them. Yes was yes, and no was no. They were good people. They didn't have a secret private life. They, they lived transparently. And, and, and if, you, if you lived in their home, you knew that they were exactly like that. They, they were honest. And the kids would say the same. And everyone who spoke of them saw them as precious. But what's fascinating to me is they, they walked in the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord blameless. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth, as the scripture says was barren. I emphasize that word because it emphasized to my heart. And the scripture says that they were well advanced in years. Now, they could just say that they were advanced in years. People always say, I'm old. And I go, no, you're not old, you're older. They go, oh, yeah, that's right, thank you. But well advanced in years means that they fell out of the old tree and hit every branch on the way down. And age really had its mark on them. Uh, they, they were bent over and, and they, they were arthritic and, and, and slow moving. And, and they, had, they had a road map on their face of everything that they had lived. And you could see every year depicted in their face. My mother, uh, who passed away a few years back... Um, she was she was much like me. She had this German nose like I do, but hers hers was a beak. She couldn't do backstroke because people would think there's a shark in the water. And I always used to joke. I said, "You know why God gave you a big nose?" She said, "Why?" I said, "Because air's free." <sighs> All right, didn't work. But but she had a real real schnoz on her. And, and she was walking down a city sidewalk in Coronado and, and the tree had made the, the edge come up and she was in her 80s and she tripped and she just smacked it and boom, just broke that thing. Um, and, and now that I'm, you know, involved with the city council, city government, I'm just telling you your easiest way to retirement is trip through the city. My mother wasn't like that. She refused to sue the city of Coronado. They insist on paying for medical costs. It was their fault. Um, and, and so she went in to have it set. And I said, you know, Mom, why don't you get it worked on? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> People won't be as frightened and you won't block the sun. You know. <laughs> she is up in heaven laughing. I am not insulting my mother. She, she used to make fun of it. And I said, and while you're at it, you can, you know, get some of the wrinkles. She said, no, I have earned every one of these. <laughs> she was a woman that aged well, but she, she had a joy. Even though she, she was advanced in years, she wasn't old. She was older, but she, she had a joy. I remember the last video we had before we, we had known that she was diagnosed with lung cancer, and it's this video of her in the 4th of July parade. She was very patriotic. She's waving. There's joy. She's like a little kid. And then eight months later, she's dead. And it was just, it was hard to process that. And, and here, you, you see this depicted so clearly in the scriptures that they were both well advanced in years. Time had taken its toll on both of these folks. And you, you could tell that they weren't just older, they were old and tired. And now the lot falls on him the first time in his life to be able to, to come in and, and offer Into the holy of holies. He's not fearful because he's walked with the Lord. He's righteous before God. He's walked in the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord blameless. But their life is depicted clearly in the passage that we're looking at as barren. It is is a lifeless landscape. You see, to be barren in Israel, have no children... It, it, is, it is considered by the community to be God's curse upon you. you. You're not worthy to have a lineage. We're going to shut your family down. Now, anyone who knew Elizabeth, anyone who knew Zacharias realized these folks don't deserve that judgment. But those who would be jealous would whisper. And they had lived with that for countless years and it had taken its toll on them. Yet they continued in the ordinances of God. They hadn't heard from the Lord. Nobody's speaking. Their prayers go unanswered. They had prayed, God, relieve this barrenness. God, we want a child. Nothing. Not only in their own life, but but as it says in the passage of Scripture, there was in the days of Herod, king of Judea. This is a half-breed. Herod is sold out to the Roman Empire. There's a barrenness on the landscape, not just in their own personal lives through their inability to have children. There's a barrenness in the temple that God's no longer speaking. There's a barrenness and and a desolation in the political landscape. Pharisees and Sadducees are at war with one another. The Essenes are so irritated with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they go off into the wilderness. They go up to Montana and build a compound and get AR-15s and wait for the second coming. And you had liberal theologians, you had conservative theologians, and they're warring with one another, and the whole nation is divided, and Rome has its boot on the neck of all of Israel. And they're enslaved to another political discourse, and Herod has sold himself out to Rome, and he's a puppet, and he's half Jewish, he's, he, 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 he's, he's not even one of them. The whole landscape is barren of hope. The temple is void of any, anything God would say. The community is divided. There's nothing politically, economically, spiritually. You can go down the list and you can just add barren to it. Barren. That just kept hitting me. It's so clear. Herod, in the time of Herod, every Jew knows what that means. They were about to lose their nation. The Romans would take them up to Masada and it would be the last time they would ever occupy any land in Israel before they'd lose their nation. It wouldn't be till 1947 that they'd come back again. And God isn't speaking and and the nation is divided and there is a barrenness everywhere and children are turning away from God. These commandments are a waste of time. Nothing of significance is coming from the pulpit of any synagogue. Politically everything is going Left. power is centralizing into an oligarchy as Rome is, is overwhelming all of Israel. And they have no ability to stand against this behemoth. It seems inevitable. And that's nationally. And you bring it down personally, our own life is barren. God doesn't answer prayers. I've been crying out to him for years and he's given me nothing. You would be able to place that upon Elizabeth and Zacharias. Barren. They, they stated they had no children. You can, you can imagine them praying. Here they are, well advanced in years. They've given up that prayer 35 years ago. That's a waste of time. I remember talking to that woman on Saturday night and, and rejoicing and then saying to her how excited it'll be for, for her husband to to. To rejoice in this miracle, this testimony of God. And she said, when I shared with him that, that my CAT scan was negative, there was nothing, he said, Oh, that's great. And he went back to his business. Just void of anything significant spiritually. And when I said, I'll pray for your husband, she said, He's not my husband. And as I listen to the conversation around the table and the barrenness of a life like that, being trapped in the jungles of prosperity. And I think of the barrenness of our pocketbooks in this state. I think of the barrenness of our schools and and many other things as we we just see this behemoth rolling. And the election that I referred to earlier. AB 1921. Many don't know what it is. It had happened in 2016. It's real simple. It would allow anybody to walk into an election office, hand over truckloads of vote-by-mail envelopes with ballots inside, no questions asked, no verified records kept. It amounts to an open invitation to large-scale vote-buying and automated forgery. So the first Tuesday in November, we had our election. You guys went, you voted. We have, I think, 57 congressional districts. We had been, we had been working on behalf of one congressional candidate on election night, at the close of election night, they were winning by 14 points. And now these vote ballots, these ballots by mail, vote by mail, start rolling in. And the lead begins to shrink. And now they've lost by 1,000 votes. Do we need more? Bring them in. Do we need more? Bring them in. They have signatures online. They, they, they can just print them out and bring them in, print them out and bring them in. And you look at the landscape, you think, this is just barren of any opportunity. This is barren of any hope. This doesn't make sense. And some of you doubt it and you say, oh, I don't believe it. Well, I don't know that I'll get reelected in 2020. I really don't. This last election, if you look at it, and these are Thousand Oaks voter turnout, non presidential elections. Just look at the statistics. In 2002, it was a 51 percent voter turnout. 2006, 57 percent. 2010, 61 percent. 2014, 48 percent. 2018, 70 percent voter turnout. I'd like to think that we are a very engaged community, but with the motor voter, that's one to two percent. AB 1921, that's Three to five, I mean, you can just keep adding to this. And they, they, they call it ballot harvesting. And some say, well, it doesn't exist, and it does. Explain this. And you look at it and you say, that's a barren landscape. It's void of any hope or opportunity. It's a behemoth, it's this, it's, it's this unstoppable force. The the tragedy visited upon us and, and evil is visited upon the safest city, one of the safest cities in America. Attending all these memorial services and seeing the pain and the thousand mile stare and the first responders. Sitting at a table with the affluent and seeing it void of anything spiritual. Someone not even moved by a completely miraculous event in the person that they call their lover. Can't even give any, any attribute to God. That is barren. Barren. And that's why I, I, I'm so blessed by this passage. That's why my, my heart soars when I read it. Zacharias and Elizabeth should have every reason to be discouraged. God speaks his last word in Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 saying an Elijah's coming. He steps back on the scene in Luke chapter 1 400 years later. And this is the first word God speaks to a nation that hasn't heard from him in 400 years. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias standing on the right side of the altar Of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. (laughs) You can imagine Zacharias. What prayer? What are you what are you talking about? I, I gave up praying a long time ago. Don't you remember you prayed for a son? Yeah. Why would you utter that? That was thirty-five years ago when it mattered. Look at me. Look at me. And he says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. <laughs> You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. That's why I can't be John. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. What a blessing. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He goes right back to Malachi. He lays it out. He says, your boy's the one that we spoke of 400 years ago. We've been waiting and your prayer is gonna be answered. You can imagine Zacharias. Wait a minute. And he's he's scared to death. He sees this glowing creature before him. He hears these words. He's a man acquainted with the scriptures. He knows Malachi. He realizes this picture of Elijah and one that come to make straight the way of the Lord. And he's, he's longing for revival. He wants to see God reign in his nation. He wants to see God move on the earth. He has been faithful. He's walked in the precepts and the commandments. He and his wife are righteous before God. They never gave up. But this is really hard to believe. God, I've just been going through the motions. I I, I didn't think this was going to happen. I just was going to stay faithful. It didn't seem like there was any fruit on the tree. But I I wasn't going to let you down. You haven't. And I haven't let you down. Your your wife is going to be with the child you've always asked for. (laughs) I love verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. (laughs) I just, I love the response. The angel answered and said to him, What are you crazy? I'm Gabriel. Look at the wings. Look at these. I'm glowing. I stand in the presence of God, you idiot. I was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings and you don't believe it. What do you need, a tack hammer on the side of your head? Look at you. It's in the Greek, I, I'm just showing you. I mean, really, What? you don't believe this? You're like paralyzed by fright. I got wings here, look at that. I'm here, gone, here, gone. Look at that, huh? <laughs> Boom, hey. Gabriel, you remember? Daniel 8, Daniel 9, you read those. I said Gabriel, you know Gabriel. You're like, oh, Gabriel, hey, what's up? And then Malachi, and now here I am, boom. And you need a sign? To the moon, Alice, boom. Crazy you. You know what I'm going to do for you? You know what I'm going to do for you? Boom, you can't talk. Because I don't want to hear you speak no more. You are dumber than a box of rocks. You pray, 35 years, I answer your prayer, I show up, Gabriel. It's not like, you know, some guy who doesn't have a name, Gabriel, I'm here. And you don't talk no more. (laughs) He says, not only are we going to make you mute for 24 hours, you don't get to speak till the baby comes forward. That's going to be fun. You can't talk with a pregnant wife. <laughs> and here's why: you didn't believe my words, and they're going to be fulfilled in their own time, not yours. So you're irritated. Thirty-five years I've been praying. Hey, boom! Now you're silent. I love it because as this whole conversation's going on, and you have to just the hermeneutical side—you go into the Greek, you'll see it—but as this whole conversation is happening. Verse 21 gives us an insight. It says, And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. That's because Gabriel's giving him, you know, hey, you. Just boom. And they're going, Is, Do we pull the rope? And you just, you just see Zachariah going, I am so stupid. Now I'm mute. And they were, gonna, they were gonna pull the rope and they're wondering as he died, do we pull him out? The bell stopped tangling. And in verse 22 says, but when he came out, he could not speak to them and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. I mean, his eyes are just, tears are flowing down. He's just, he's mesmerized. Probably glowing. They can perceive it. It's kind of like Moses on, the, uh, on, on Mount Sinai, just glowing. And they see it. And he comes out and he begins to beckon to them. One word. Two syllables. A A angle oh, Angel. Angel And he remembers what Gabriel said, "Your wife's going to conceive." And he turns to his wife. She's like, You're strangely attractive. Maybe it's because you're not talking. You strike me as unbelievably intelligent. It's all here now. After those after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she's pregnant, and then, you know, well advanced in years and carrying a baby. I mean, I'm. I'm I can see how it had a toll on my wife, especially Michael, the last one. She's like, I can't do this again. I just can't do this again. These kids, they take a lot out of you. Well advanced in years. And every time, you know, she has to get up and the the knees and the back and already hurting. And she just looks at him. She goes, I am having a difficult time. There are things I need, and I can't communicate to you, and you just don't seem to respond. And when I need this special, I'm having a craving for sushi. Go get it. <laughs> and you come back, and you don't even know how to talk or tell me any of these things, and that's your fault. You couldn't believe the angel muted you. I mean, you are attractive, but this is irritating. And you can imagine going, are I writing it down? Oh, stop it. You're irritating me. Uh, yeah, you're just writes that yes dear hold that up <laughs> and this goes on she conceives five months and at the sixth month she says the lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people and and they're a precious couple i've, I've made fun of them but i, I love this picture and they're just that's they're sweet But in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, again, is sent by God to the city of Galilee. And here is the the last appearance here. He comes to Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. He says, The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting uh, this was then the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus and her question wasn't like her question wasn't like Zacharias's she didn't question God's ability she just didn't understand and asked for clarification Zacharias said this just it can't happen but she said how's this going to take place and it's a fair question to ask and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. and The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also has conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month of, for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I love this part. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. I love this picture. It's, It's kind of... An interesting one, but you just you see John in there going yeah, and Jesus is like <laughs> Tell me of fast Jesus be to his I like this, and it, it ministers to me because as you see this passage, what's fascinating to me is Gabriel leaves Zacharias and Elizabeth, and Gabriel comes to Mary, and again he proclaims, and what he proclaims like he did to Daniel. Is a time frame. And it says, in the order of Abijah, the division of Abijah, in, in, in the days of Herod, we go down the course of when these would, would happen, and you know I've said this, and I, and I love sharing it, because this is the way God works, this fulfillment. He finishes Malachi by declaring that Elijah is going to make straight the way of the Lord. You see this picture of Elijah, even in the womb, declaring Christ. Everything in his fiber and his being is made up of this. And you can imagine the joy that they have. As Gabriel said, he's going to bring joy to many people. And this is their boy who's going to be beheaded. And his head's going to be served to, to Herod or on a platter. As Salome dances this, this dance, the daughter of, of the woman he's with. And he, he's drunk and he says anything up to half my kingdom. And she, she recites the words of her mother, bring me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Because he had the audacity to call for righteousness in a nation to turn our relationship back to God that we would honor him and keep his commandments. In a nation that was barren of anything moral. In a nation that had forgotten God. In a, in a, in a district that, that God didn't speak anymore. One man crying in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord, baptizing him, and the spirit of God falls upon him. And he would stand and declare this before Herod, and they would behead him. A baby born to die. One that would usher in another baby born to die. But the second one that would be born to die would be the one that would reconcile and allow God's children to be returned to their father, and their father to be restored to his children. And not just in a heavenly sense but in an earthly sense that as I've declared to you testimony after testimony and I can point out folks in the room right now who've been reconciled to parents that didn't deserve the time of day. And they were able to say I forgive you because I've been forgiven. That God would take away this misery. It's amazing to me that with a contentious election like we experienced on Tuesday night, it just seemed to dissipate. Come Wednesday night, Thursday, early morning. just didn't seem to matter. People that I was politically divided from all of a sudden became very close to me as we went from one memorial to the next. We would have deep and abiding conversations about the things of God. Words would be spoken to me as I was made mayor by a council member that I never expected that to be spoken of, and probably one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. I was taken aback, deeply blessed. But as Gabriel is the angel of timelines. And I had Pastor Michael, he shared that last song. 25th of December, Jesus was born. If you've been in the church long enough, you know that I don't ascribe to that. I don't want to take away from Christmas. I just don't think Jesus was born on the 25th. It was winter. Roman soldiers wouldn't be taking a census in winter. And we don't have a timeline of his birth, but we do have a timeline of his conception. It's very clear in this passage, and you can read this in, by the author of the Companion Bible, E.W. Bullinger, Copious notes that he's taken in the study that he's done. It goes back before John's birth. John's father, Zacharias, he was of the order of Abijah, of the division of Abijah. Being a temple priest in this, this division... And he's in the sanctuary when he sees Gabriel. Six months go along, and now Mary is pregnant when she says, let it be unto me. And I believe that's when the conception occurred, when her heart yielded. Boom. And if you add six months plus nine months to the date of Zacharias' temple duty, you have a birth date for Jesus, about the 15th of Tishri in the Hebrew calendar. And that would be the 29th of September in our calendar, if you follow the division of Abijah and Chronicles. The Christian church used to remember this as the Feast of St. Michael. So what do you do with the 29th of September, if that's when Jesus was born? Well, you go back nine months. And when you go back nine months, to let it be unto me, as you have said, Mary speaking to Gabriel. December 25th. I believe that December 25th isn't the birth of Jesus but the conception. I say that to a world that has taken the womb of a woman and made it barren of life. Landscape of California that is responsible for more abortions than any other state in the union. And I don't say that to bring condemnation on anyone in this room because every person in this room has been affected by abortion including myself. I'm saying it to return our heart to our Father, and our Father's heart has been returned to us. He forgives us. But it's time we make straight the way of the Lord. We have lived in the barrenness of a moral life long enough. We lived in the barrenness of declaring that this is a blob of tissue. We've lived in the barrenness of conviction. We don't value life anymore. And then God brings life to us in the form of his little his son, the zygote. DNA, the chromosomes. All of a sudden, that wrapping paper is formed in one cell, and a soul is inserted. This earthly tabernacle, this tent. And Jesus would be, be born on the Feast of Tabernacles, which is, he tabernacled with us. This is where you live in these booths, these temporal dwelling places. And he takes on a temporal human form, an earth suit, so to speak, as he, he comes from his mother's womb. And the first voice of God spoken to man as the cries of a little baby. But what happened at Christmas? He came. He was conceived. God declares to all humanity that's a baby. You you don't believe it? Why would John leap in the presence of his king, in the womb of his mother, who is no longer barren? In a landscape that seems barren of hope, I'll close with this thought. That God brought hope through a little boy, John, to make straight the way of the Lord. A boy who would die. I was thinking about the victims of the borderline. I wouldn't wish that pain on any family but I have seen how they've taken the loss of the life of their loved one and they've made straight the way of the Lord. They've poured their life into the community. They've been more profound preachers than any pulpit in the, in the valley. In their grief, they've brought hope. And as one said to me, if it means people coming to Christ, it's worth it. The woman said to me at the dinner, if going through cancer were to bring me to this place with the Lord, I'd do it again. That's making straight the way of the Lord to realize That the barrenness of what we perceive is actually the segue into life and life more abundant. That God has heard every prayer you've uttered and he's waiting to respond. He's given you his son, but he wants the the world to have their eyes opened, that the womb is not the barrenness of life, but it is the place of life. And we as his people are to be reconciled to him and to stand for that. That we would walk in righteousness. That the lives of Elizabeth and Zachariah would be an inspiration to us and move us because there is a community that needs Jesus and we make straight the way of the Lord. Yeah, they were barren. But that barrenness was a bridge to a God whose timing is perfect. And at times we lose sight of that but I have to tell you I am so looking forward to this coming year I believe with all my heart that this is going to be a coming revival and I'm good with that so Christmas is conception it's life in a world that once declared the womb to be barren God has brought life And I leave you with this last thought that Zacharias and Elizabeth, because of their faithfulness and Mary saying, let it be unto me. Look at this room. It's filled with men and women whose lives have been transformed by the faithfulness of those folks. That made straight the way of the Lord that we would have for us through their sacrifice and their pain and their patience. A testimony of reconciliation that our hearts would be turned back to the fathers and the father to us and each of us to each other. That's a great gift. No room for apathy, but for hope. May God fill you with that this Christmas season. In Jesus' name.